Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of the Tapecast. I'm Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. Uh, no new reviews on iTunes. You guys are slacking. I read like 16 reviews on the end of the last show. I'm thinking of like some little fun bonus I can do for you guys if we get to like 100 reviews or something. Episode five with Grant Wall getting great reception. Uh, episode six now I will be changing lanes again episode five is about soccer episode six going back to the to the breadbasket of uh, the National Football League with none other than Matt Harmon Matt how you doing fella Davis man I'm doing good Uh, I've listened to a few episodes of your podcast the ones with uh with Josh and with Evan because I respect both of those guys so definitely and obviously whenever whenever I get invited onto an important show like this I want to you know kind of get the get a feeling what I'm getting myself into uh so I'm excited thanks so much for having me on Uh, I'm really looking forward to talking well, that's the idea. I want, I want this show to be a la carte. Like, I don't want, you're not, you're probably not going to want to listen to every episode. Like, uh, I've sent out emails to like a couple like professional FIFA players, like esports guys. I don't mm-hmm. know if anything will come of it, but I just think that is like fascinating. But yeah, I don't want people to have to listen to every episode. Like, I don't know. How many podcasts do you have on like your, your little app? Like, how many do you listen to? an outrageous amount that I have on my app and I I have to I've started to kind of get a little more judicious about it like okay maybe I don't need to listen to this one anymore or whatever or like I haven't listened to this one in a while let me just take it off my feed but especially in the off season when I'm doing all the receiver charting like it just helps to have content going in the background on yeah yeah like and it can't just be music all the time because it just you know i just need i don't know i'm just a stupid millennial that just needs information pumped into my head all the time so no, I, I don't have content coming into my brain if there's like a two minute segment where i'm just like standing like i'm just miserable like my skin itches like it's yeah. just unbearable it's really bad man like i think about that sometime i mean i think about the stuff all the time and we're gonna i think we're gonna talk about some of it today but like I am definitely that way. Like when I'm cooking, I'm listening to a podcast. When I'm like brushing my teeth, I'm listening to a podcast. I'm like, it's just, I've, it's probably an information overload. Um, but like, I even have like an NPR app on my phone that I'm constantly listening to and, and everything like that. So even when I don't have a podcast in the feed, I've got some sort of audio pumping into the brain. My, my feed is like at any given time, probably like if I refresh on like a, it's a Tuesday morning, I refresh. There was probably like 15 episodes of shows for me to listen to which is like i'll never listen to all of those but like they're all there just because i can't ever be starved for content there always has to be something it's so exciting like today tuesday this morning was like a pretty good drop of uh what's your best day for podcasts i know i know what the best day is for mine from the ones i've curated what's the best day for yours it's probably either tuesday or thursday um and i think it's tuesday because i get I get a, a, just a variety of different things. The worst is when you start to get to like, especially again, like when I'm doing the receiver charting and I'm just stuck to my desk, like get to, at home get to all day. Yeah. I get to Sunday and I'm like, it's bare bones. <laughs> it's like all the pods I like I've burned through. Um, but yeah, Tuesday is definitely a good day. 
Um, and and I, I, I'm sure you're the same way. Like, I don't just listen to football or even sports. Oh, I don't listen. I actually, I'll be honest with you, everyone out there who listens to this, if you host a fantasy football podcast, I probably haven't listened to your show in like a year because <laughs> I, I went through a stage in my life where I was so obsessed with fantasy football that I was like, it was, I think it was just like bad for me. It was like making me a less interesting human being. And I had like less to say and less to think about. Cause I was like always wondering like, how many yards will Antonio Brown gain per target in 2016? Like that's a really, which is a good question, but it's not the question. So I kind of needed to go outside of my comfort zone a little bit. I'm 100% with you. And I just started feeling that like over the last season, like this is my, this was my third year doing this professionally is like, this is my only source of income is working for NFL. And I definitely started to feel like, am I becoming like a less interesting person and everything like that? And, you know, during the, like every other human in the world, like during the 2016 election, like I got into politics pretty heavily Mm -hmm. um, and I've stayed interested in that. But even that is like depressing as hell. I mean, obviously like we're just in such a chaotic place politically. And every day it's something else to get punched. Like that's just, (laughs) just, it's really, it's awful, man. It's awful. Yeah, it really is. Like it's, it is just this perpetual cycle and the way everything is done based on like, you know, and I'm not, we don't have to get into the, into, into political stuff, but like the way the left has like, uh, has kind of like weaponized outrage and like being sanctimonious and like, honestly, just being kind, like the way that's been weaponized by the left and then the right has like weaponized being just an asshole and like yeah, you know it's like the the left is becoming a meme of like what people say they are and the right is becoming the meme of what people say they are like yeah I, it's becoming the meme makers and like and and yeah. I, it's like it's the owning the libs thing like you know it, it, and they all and it just goes back and forth and it's just this like we're all just getting dumber and we're all getting just more terrible <laughs> like that's honestly the Everyone, way that I, everyone's awful yeah yeah and that was like i was in one of those like spaces yesterday when i was just thinking especially with the like the white house canceling the the eagles thing i'm like this is the type of stuff that just i guess we can curse on this podcast like this is the type of shit that just like makes me really worried that we're all just we're just really just horrible and we're all doomed so yeah, that's that a, was, that that's was a basically the, the episode with drew is we just concluded like everyone feeds into this awful machine and no one has any answers so everyone just recedes into listening to one of their 27 podcasts that they listen to and like stops paying attention to anything meaningful and it's just all horrible is basically the conclusion of that hour and a half episode well, I'm glad we started to show off on a really light and positive note. <laughs> so now we'll get to what, I mean, I would assume most people listening to this podcast who come for your feed are coming for like the next, oh, I would say half an hour or so, because we are going to talk about the 2018 version of the Reception Perception, which is your analysis, you know, cumulatively collected of watching all of these wide receivers. It's available in the Fantasy Footballers Ultimate Draft Kit. Um, I will put a link to that in the show notes. Matt's section is available a la carte for $29.99. It's the only place to get it. So the results are definitely interesting. Um, But on this podcast, we're a little bit more focused on the process. And I I really kind of just want you to break down to me how you translate the visual, visual representation of football into the ones and the zeros and the charts that are included in your draft kit yeah for sure well um i think obviously i've been doing this now for four years uh started reception perception in i guess after the 2013 football season so i have results from uh 
well, you kind of started it then. So then fully started collecting data on the 2014 season, 2015, 2016, and then obviously this past year. So that's four years worth of data. And I've learned so much about what I'm charting, you know, just over the last, last few months, like collecting the 2017 data. And really, I think that's the way it should be. It's like, I think uh, fantasy ADHD, Josh uh, said to me, like, you know, I'm like, you were like the worst kind of, would be the worst kind of academic because I consistently said like over the last, uh, and I'm, I'm not really answering your question. I'm off on kind of a different tangent, but I'll, I'll get away, around. Guy, tangent <laughs> I'll get around to, to the point. Um, but I would, I have said pre, in previous years that like, if I was really presenting this as like heavy academic research, you know, I would want um, several years worth of data before making a conclusion on what reception perception is trying to, to tell us. Uh, but obviously like the football audience and the fantasy football audience doesn't really give a shit unless there's a take. So obviously it was not going to be like, Hey, I've got this charting process, uh, check back in four years and uh, we'll talk like definitely would not uh, be where I am today. If that was the way I went about it. However, I think it's so interesting now, like going back and looking at things I, I have said based on these numbers, you know, in years past that I probably wouldn't conclude today. But basically what I, so what I do is I go in over an eight game sample for NFL receivers and I chart every single route that they run over that, that sample of games, you know, how often they got open on each route, what type of route they run, what type of coverages they were most successful against. And the reason that I do this is because I don't trust, like the idea of trust your eyes or trust the tape is not something that I believe in because I don't believe that human beings really in any walk of life are good at seeing things and then categorizing it and weighting it fairly just based on seeing it. Like I'm no, very categorically we're, we're terrible at it. Like eyewitness testimony is always bad. Like the, every, yes. every study on this would say your eyes are, are going to mess up like all the time. Right. Which is so outrageous that in any walk of life, like we don't, we don't, but we don't really do that. You know, we, again, you talk about eyewitness testimonies like being thrown out. That's what, that's one thing. Just, in any social situation too, you don't just take what you see as face value and believe it as truth. You know, like you, you would be quite a naive person if that's what you do, but it's almost just so outrageous. It's that's become like a line of defense in football analysis. And it's just accepted that, yeah, you know, I, like I've seen it. So I, be, that, that is, that is truth. So I don't really subscribe to that. So what I wanted to do in, in evaluating wide receivers is, put more of a rubric behind it uh, and, and, and categorize it that way. So that that way you can compare players across the league and what they're good at as opposed to, and instead of just saying like, well, all right, well, I see it. So I believe it. So that's kind of a, a, the reason I want to do it. I mean, that's a, that's a good reason to do anything. I think the idea that a lot of like really good projects that people do in fantasy football come be, it's born out of, not liking the content that's out there or not finding what they need. I know that is why back in, uh, well, whatever, 2012 or whatever, that was why I started a website. And that was because I was just like, honestly, I'll be real. Like, I was just like, I'm just as smart as these people who are putting fantasy football content out and I can do it better than them. I guess is that, is that something that you found, you, you thought that there's not something like this out there and I want people to see something like this? Yeah, 100%. Like I tell anybody that wants to get into the industry, look out there and say, okay, what's something that I want to see that nobody's doing and then be the person that that does that. And you're you're absolutely right. Like you have to 
you have to have that mentality about like, okay, I'm just as good as everybody else doing this. Like I've got good takes on, on football or whatever. And like, I, I go back and I listen to a podcast I used to do with Leo Howell, who works for ESPN now. And I'm like, man, I didn't know what the hell I was Shout talking about. Shout out Leo Howell. I, I still email with Leo. Oh yeah. 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 We're good. We're good friends. Like we did that podcast together and we'll text every now and again. I was telling him like I was on YouTube and like, you know, some of those like old shows popped up those like Google Hangouts that we did together. And I went and list, just listen. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> I'm so terrible. Uh, but that, that, you know, it was like four years ago now at this point. But yeah, I mean, everybody has that mindset of like, I can definitely do this too. And that was exactly what it was with reception perception and, and wide receivers was I just naturally thought like a lot of fans don't really understand the position because, you know, when you watch games on Sunday, they run off the screen. You don't see what goes on after that. Um, so I wanted to go in and actually chart game film and, you know, log what is happening in, in all those snaps that you're not seeing when they run off the screen. And I also think receivers, especially because they're so dependent on other positions in order for them to get their production, you know, obviously the quarterback, but then the line has to protect the quarterback to give them time to deliver them the ball. Like there's so many variables. I wanted to kind of strip away those other variables and just isolate the wide receiver play and see what they're, see what is actually true about the position. I think that's, you know, about as good as reason as any. And I think, I think you've done that too. Cause I think you, I actually do think fantasy football is kind of lately's least content is like a meritocracy in the sense that if you're, if your content is not interesting or not actionable, I don't think it will catch on, but I do mm-hmm. think it is a space that kind of um, responds to content that is good or at least interesting. There's yeah. a lot of fantasy football content out there that is not uh, actionable, but it is interesting and, I mean, that was my whole gig. I'm sure when I was, when I was writing fantasy football content for Rotoviz, I always made sure it was going to be interesting, even if it didn't necessarily lead to an actionable conclusion. Right. Like I, you know, the footballers asked me to make a video uh, to kind of like, okay, tell all the, cause you know, it's a lot. If like, you're just a casual fantasy player and you buy their ultimate draft kit and then you click on the reception perception tab and you're like, oh my God, you know, when did we just turn this into math class? And what are all these percentages and success rates? Like, what, how do I use this? And like, my one conclusion was like, okay, my, you're telling people is like, don't, you know, I don't, this is not necessarily like, okay, like this guy has a 50% success rate. That's well below the average. Uh, he must suck. I'm not going to draft him. Like, that's not, the action that you need to take off this. Um, However, it can help you kind of understand the player better. And it is interesting. Like that's a hundred percent true. Like the only way to, to last in this space where there are, where there are just thousands and thousands of voices trying to catch your attention is to one, be a provocateur. That's definitely one way to do it to create interesting content that makes people think and that they grab onto. And I think that's the space I, I kind of sit in. Or number three, you've been doing it for a long time and you're just kind of, you're you're, just hanging out. Oh yeah. And there's plenty of, there's plenty out there that are, that are just hanging out that we won't, (laughs) we won't point your fingers at. I mean, anyone who wants to come on this podcast and point fingers, you're welcome. That's why there currently there are no sponsorships for this podcast and there are no ad reads because if people do want to point fingers, I'm not going to stop them currently. Uh, I stand as Switzerland. I have no affiliation with it, especially during the off season. I'm not doing content um, for anyone, but uh, so something that does come up in, I guess this is a huge lesson that I've learned and I kind of just want your opinion on it. Bad football players can still be good for fantasy. And I think that's, I think that's like the hardest lesson to, to learn. That was the hardest Mm -hmm. lesson for me to learn in fantasy football. Like, uh, like, 
I, I mean, the best example is Jarvis Landry. I don't think he's very good, right? But anytime you're going to get a guy with like that kind of, of volume, like I just think that uh, that player is relevant for fantasy. So my question is, from reception perception this year, who's a guy who is hashtag bad, who is going to be hashtag good for fantasy? Who's a guy who charted out poorly, but that is going to have the opportunity to be good? Yeah, so rarely do you get, because that's what I love about reception perception is that I present so many different, like I've never taken all the results and put it into one like overall grade. I even wrote a piece a while ago why I would never want to do that. Um, so why wouldn't you want to do that? Because I, yeah, because I think that when you part, because football players like just are very hard to kind of put into like the he's good or he's bad box. Like I think a lot of it is they are good or bad at certain things. And then you, the evaluator or the coach or whatever have to decide what you want to weigh those things as. And I kind of wanted to leave that up to the viewer, you know, because there were a lot of people that would probably tell me that, okay, I much rather value a player that is going to be very successful against zone or man cover or against man or press coverage, as opposed to a player that's really good against zone coverage. And I'm like, okay, then, then you can, view all those success rates and make that judgment yourself you don't need me to be the arbiter of the information and, and kind of tell you that I think that's a really interesting thing about your work is that you don't pretend to be the arbiter because I think a lot of fantasy analysts do yes. they absolutely do want to be the arbiter of who is hashtag good or who is hashtag bad yeah and like I especially found that to be the case with like working with the NFL next gen stats and everything like when I would put out an information like put out information people would be like okay does this mean the guy is good or bad or what does this mean I'm like okay well we're all kind of learning this together so you know what do you think it means or it could mean this or it could mean that and then we break it like I think the value of analytics and whether it's something like reception perception or next gen stats or whatever is that it uh, it tells you as objectively as possible like this is what happened. Like it tells you the what really well, like better than some goofball watching it, you know, and re and like giving it to you on a silver platter. It tells you this is what happened in the game on Sunday. Um, I, however, I still think that we need smart people who either watch the games or, you know, study the study, the statistics and everything to tell you about the why. And I think we can all work through the why together. I never wanted to be that force of like, okay, this is, you know, again, that arbiter is definitely not a role that I see myself in. Um, so getting back to kind of the point, uh, you know, it, I think reception perception gives you all these different variables to look at with the players and what they're successful in. And then the viewer can kind of decide for themselves, what does, does this matter more to me than another thing? And, and I think Cooper Cup is a great example of this player. Like, I, his profile looks very similar from college to the NFL. And I think what I've learned from that time alone is that I don't need to, like his success rate versus man and press coverage were so poor in college, you know, as a guy that was playing, you know, like against schools like Youngstown State or something. Um, so I really thought he would not be successful in the NFL because of that. And maybe he still won't be, but he's obviously coming off a pretty decent rookie year. And when you look at his reception perception uh, statistics this past year, he's very, very successful against zone coverage. And the way he was deployed had him face, 
you know, a, a much higher percentage of his routes against zone coverage. So the fact that he stinks against man or press doesn't really matter as much because of the way he's deployed. Now, as a, as a viewer, you know, maybe you don't value that type of player that much. So you might still think he's bad or whatever, and he's just mm-hmm. deployed well. And, and that very well might be the case. So but I, I, think mean, I, I think that's kind of the secret of analytics, right? Is yeah. that the value of a player depends so much on how they are deployed not yes. whether how good they are like uh Tavon Austin does suck but he but he sucks mostly because he's been playing the wrong position the entire time he's been in the NFL he's like he if he was just used like Tariq Cohen was used I think people would be like oh my gosh Tavon Austin huge element added to the Dallas Cowboys offense they're gonna they're gonna have this explosive element they haven't had in years bleep bleep blah blue you know yeah and I think that's kind of the that's something we touch I touched on in the episode with Drew Dinkmeyers that so much of how we evaluate these players depends on what they're asked to do. And that goes kind of in any sport too, is no athlete is perfect. They all have their specific skill sets. So only ask them to do the things that they can do. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent with you. That's the, that's the thing I think I've, I've taken away the most from this past off season of collecting this reception perception data is just how important deployment is to, to not only just influence their raw stats or whatever, but also how we perceive them and even how they turn out in reception perception. And like, it's one of those things that like, Holy hell, man, the, the answer was right there all along, but I just kept overlooking. Cause when you get into the weeds with, you know, stats or, or film or whatever you do sometimes end up just forgetting the very basic thing about like, okay, where these players line up matter. Uh, and I think like that, the distinction between like playing X receiver and playing the flanker position is something that like I'm obsessed with right now and how much of a difference that makes in terms of player success rates. Um, Cause, and, and the, I just started thinking about it because if you think about the offenses, like two of the offenses that were really good last year, the Vikings and the Rams, they just kind of ignored their X receiver, like Sammy Watkins on the Rams. And then like, you know, Laquan Treadwell or Michael Floyd, like whoever mm-hmm. they were running out there at X in Minnesota and they just pumped their offense through their slot receivers and their flankers, you know, Diggs and, and Thielen in Minnesota. And then in, in the, in LA woods and Cooper cup. And, you know, I, that I started seeing more and more as I'm looking through reception perception, like just how big of a difference where you line up, whether it's on the line of scrimmage or off the line of scrimmage just at the flanker position, how much that influences player success rates, how often that influences what type of coverage you see, how often you're pressed at the line, how often you see man, how often you see zone. And just with the influence that that has on these player success rates, I think is massive. It's something I, I do want to publish a little more research on uh, in full that I'm now that I'm done charting all these players for the most sure. part. Uh, now I'm going to kind of dive into that more. So that's kind of a working theory I have right now, but like I'm a, my point is I'm a hundred percent with you in terms of deployment being the key factor in, in how we view players and also how they produce. So I actually think your work is pretty interesting in the sense that a lot of people who hate numbers, who who hate the analytical approach to the NFL, who stick to what has always worked, all of that stuff, I actually think that they would find more merit in your work than they would find in like what what Josh does, right? Like than Air Yards, because they would be like, well, yes, this is a number, but it is based off of watching the film. Like Matt mm-hmm. did sit down and actually watch all of this. Um, And something that I talked about in pretty much all of the previous episodes is that the NFL kind of more than any other league, the fan base and the organizational structure 
tends to really be against these evidence-based approaches. And so my question to you would be, have you found any pushback to, to what you've done basically being like, yeah, but you can't account for this, this, and that, you know, with the numbers that you have. And also just kind of what is your general opinion on why the NFL specifically is so against these evidence-based approaches? So to kind of answer this question in a way, like I think, I think why, honestly, I think part of why people would that, that are traditional like tape watchers and like, you got to trust the tape and like, you know, all that, they definitely, I think they would value that. Why you, I would agree with you that they would, they do tend to like, okay, like I trust Harmon's work, even though this is a statistic and it's a percentage and it is analytics in a way. Um, as opposed to like just straight up somebody just working with data off a spreadsheet. I think there's like a weird, and I don't buy into this, but I think there's a weird thing of like, you're not really putting in the work if you just mm -hmm. look at data, which is, which is weird, right? Uh, because it is a shitload of work to like comb through all this stuff and try to find the things that matter. Like, I don't even want to know how much time, you know, someone like Josh Hermsmeyer or, or, or these people like spend in front, spend in front of spreadsheets, like, uh, and trying to comb through all this stuff to see, or somebody like Warren Sharp who works with just an egregious, outrageous amount of, of, of data. Um, you know, like how much time that takes. Like, so to say that is kind of stupid, but I think that that is a mindset within people that follow the sport is like, if you're not actually sitting down and like, grinding film you know or watching games like you're not really putting the work in which i disagree with but i think is is part of it um but i've definitely found that that pushback um in my work especially again working with next gen stats that was definitely the case but yeah. it's also the case it's also the case with 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 reception perception like you can't account for everything and i think people want to just throw the baby out with the bathwater completely like if you can't get the full picture with your percentage or your number then, then I don't why even do it. Why yeah. even engage with it? Yeah. Right. And I think that's, to, I think that's stupid. I, I think it's a terrible mindset to have because if you can get, if, if, cause again, going back to our original point, like I don't think that I think maybe, you know, watching games or just looking at, looking at film or whatever, maybe gets you to like 20% truth, or it might get you to 80% truth or 20% truth. And there's like nowhere in between. Um, but if, if my data can take that 20% truth, and bring it to like a 50% or even 60%. Yeah, it's not going to get us to 100%. But if it's getting us closer, I think that's really important. Like getting close enough to that 100% truth, which we probably will never arrive at, uh, is important, even if you can't get all the way there. But people, people want to, I, I think it's just a changing force within the sport of football, like analytics and data, that people just want to resist, 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 because it's not what they want to see for whatever reason. And the fact that you can't get all the way there. Like it's not, it's not uncovering the Holy grail of football truth. Like they want to just completely throw it out. Um, Until we I, have a machine that can do the reception perception. And there's a, there's an AI program that has all of your, your inputs and it just watches all of the film like artificially for you. And then oh, yeah. every single play is done with a success rate. That, that, yeah. I, I mean, look, the like separation data with next gen stats, like is, is not is not good for evaluating the same thing that I'm evaluating but like if it could get to a point where it could recognize routes and recognize coverages and all that sort of stuff um you could easily just replace me <laughs> with that um but I don't know it's tough I do think there is like a, a little bit of value in the human element um but again that's like just my, me as one human as opposed to like something we can all agree on um 
but yeah, uh, then it's kind of the, the second point, like, why do I think this, the sport is the way it is? I have no, I don't, I don't really know if I have a good answer. for. I that. don't know if there is a good answer either. I think it's a combination of, um, the, the cities that the league began in. I think that's part of it. I think part of it is the ownership structure. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the ownership structure has always been more conservative because the franchise values have typically been higher. Like, mm-hmm. if you look at the NBA, the the franchise values were lower, especially when, like, in the 70s, like, they were – the NBA, like, could have, like, realistically folded. And yeah. the NFL has been part of, like, the permaculture of the United States since the 70s. And the NBA, I mean, people want to talk about, like, about, you know, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. Like, they watched them growing up. From what I understand, until like the '90s, NBA like finals games were like tape delayed. Like, <laughs> like, like you weren't watching. You were not watching the NBA on NBC. Like that, just, it wasn't a it wasn't a super common thing. Kind mm-hmm. of until the '90s, and I think that's a huge part of it. Is that these sports are newer to the monoculture to the overall, whereas things that we've believed about football have been believed for 60 years I I really think that's the biggest factor yeah I 100% think so and I think like the media and the way um I hate I hate when people do this and I just did it like I am the media but I hate when people like blame the media culture when they are the media so I'm, I'm like breaking my own rules here um but I think the way the sport is covered is a big part of that too like it feeds into a lot of those myths because there's just a lot and this is why I love data and I love analytics and doing stuff like this is because that's the biggest reason I want to use that stuff is to like test these long-held theories that are just grounded in well this is the way it is because this is the way we're told it is and I think football maybe the reason that it's like this is because um it's so non-individualistic. Like, yeah, that's a big part of it is every coach, every team will tell you it's all about the team. And, you know, every, this isn't a woke point anymore, but, you know, NFL players, they wear helmets. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like, 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 I think the first person to say that who was woke was like probably in like 1994. And now yeah. that now that's just like a meme. But the meme is that you know <laughs> NBA, NBA players, you see them, they're right there. You see them talking NFL players helmet on. You don't see them. And, and the league markets themselves that way. The league makes it about the teams, not the players. I don't know, man. I had, I did, had this exact conversation about the NBA and players and helmets and everything with my dad on the phone like a couple weeks ago, and he, it blew his mind. So we yeah, still – it's, it's, <laughs> it's a meme for, like, people who listen to 27 podcasts a week, but it's, it's not like, like, yeah, the average dad probably doesn't process <laughs> things that way. Yeah, so, but, I, but I think that is a big part of it. You're, you're right, though. That's like a well-established thing in this space. Um, and, yeah, I think the way that, that the NFL is so team-oriented and so lay it all on the line for the team and, like, it's not about individuals, like, that also doesn't really resonate with our culture at this point anymore. So that's a, it's a whole other thing. I think the NFL, you know, has, has to, like, overcome that some way, and they've got to be better about marketing players as individuals while also still – keeping that you know weirdo team mindset um yeah so it's a lot of there's just a lot of conformity that comes in with the nfl and the way that like the way the sport is structured and the way it is all about the team and i think that bleeds it over into how it's covered and how uh how how the game is analyzed because it's we've always done it this way you conform to that or you or you you get out 
Um, and I think that's led to, I, I think that's led to like, it's almost like we're talking about with politics too. It, it's the same way of like, like the anal, like people that are pro analytics have become like a meme of themselves, just like, and, and the same as like tape watchers or traditionalists have become like memes of themselves in some way, or at least I feel like it's heading towards that. Um, because sometimes like people that are so, um, you mentioned Chris Wessling earlier and he said something that really stuck out to me earlier this off season. And I love Chris. Chris is, is like a real life friend of mine. He blocked um, me on Twitter a long time ago. Well, you, you probably did. It was it, during, uh, it was during the, um, the Vincent Brown wars. Oh God. That was before, like, I was really, I was, that was like, that blocking. was like historically, that was me versus everyone on football Twitter. And I like won so resoundingly that no one even talks about it anymore. What year? What was that like 2013? 20... It would have been, it would have been 2013, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was like, that was before my time as weird as that is to say, uh, like, or at least before my time, like blog or like, you know, on football Twitter. Sure. Yeah. Um, You were, you were observing casually. Yeah. I was observing casually. I think I just started, I started blogging like late. I started backyard banter, like late 2013 seasons. So, um, I was not, I don't have a side on that war, but, uh, I, but I still hear you talk about it and, and, uh, I'm mad that people don't (laughs) acknowledge it. I'm mad that like people try and dunk on me in Twitter conversations acting like I didn't like this was, that was the first film versus war, like complete sabotage on Twitter. That was like, that Mm. was, um, that was like when Rotoviz started. That was like the summer that it started and it was the beginning of the whole thing. Damn. Good, good times walking down those, uh, those those memory lanes founding um, founding member of rotoviz davis matic people don't remember this <laughs> i was there for that you are you are a part of the story you're a part of the story um but well, i don't know what the hell i was saying but uh about about wrestling like he yeah, yeah yeah he he made the point that like analytics uh was is originally designed to like decrease dogmatic thinking or like you know debunk dogmatic thinking which I, is exactly my point that i was saying earlier um, that's what I love to use it for is like call bullshit when there's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think so much now, like, because analytics have become like this, like, you know, it's, it's, it's portrayed in, in big media or whatever as like this fringe group or whatever. They've right. almost like gotten this kind of rebellious mindset and like they've, then they're, they're clinging too hard to truths, you know, based on numbers or whatever and everything. So I think it's it's just it's that same polarization I think that uh, that is created in our political society that I think you see a little bit reflected in that traditional way of viewing the sport versus the analytics and everything and and I whatever causes Andy Benoit to tweet. Oh my God! I saw he said something this morning about Ty Montgomery like. As yeah, in wearing I mean, an 88 numbers, like a competitive advantage. I'm like, I didn't actually, you average like actually, three yards a carry last year? What was the competitive advantage? I actually respect him because I, I actually think he knows that he has nothing productive to say. So he just says stuff like that. God, God bless you. But at least he's cashing paychecks for it. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. So I, I think that there's just, I don't really know what, what, what I was saying at this point, but I think that there's just so much um, like traditional mindset based on this sport that I also think people are threatened by that too. Like I, I genuinely think people, you know, clown on analytics and data because, and like new ways of viewing things because they're threatened by it. And I think that's just generally true with, with everything. Um, 
I think if you look at where our culture is right now, so much of it is like a backlash and a reflection of like people that, that thought over, you know, the last eight years or whatever, or the previous eight years, like there's just so much change happening so fast, like, you know, make America great again, sort of thing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's like, um, that's actually kind of an unexamined part of this overall, just why, why traditionalism and feudalism and tribalism is coming out so much right now. People, people really want, you know, the, the good old days or whatever, because, this like that we are at a, a time of rapid change in human history. This is yeah. like, this is like the industrial revolution was like absolutely nothing compared to this. Like I remember a time in my life where like, I didn't have constant access to the internet. I remember where I yeah. like, like there wasn't a computer in my house probably until I was like nine or 10 or something like that. And now yeah. like, like if I'm, if my phone is not next to me, I'm like, I'm sweating. Yeah, no, I, it, I 100% agree with you. And I think too, you know, relate that back to football in a second, but to go off on that point, like, I think that, that it is, is a hundred percent true. Like the, the change is happening so rapidly. Like, you know, we will definitely be like our age will definitely be the last like kind of group of kids that grew up without technology attached. Our, to Our brains hip. will just be like potatoes. Like it's yeah. like, the stimulation required to like move a millennial brain now is like, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. It, it's, it's not good. Like there's no way it's good for us, but we can go off on that too, like a lot further. But I think how it relates to football is that, you know, I think that technology and like the way just our, fo- like just our phones alone, like how different that is from five years ago mm-hmm. is insane. And I think also the way how different football is from five years ago is pretty crazy. Like when I, you think about like the pro, just even five years ago, like the idea that a quarterback would come into the NFL without taking snaps under center was like, that's a fail. Yeah, He's not sure, going to be no good. Mm-hmm. And nobody now in college, nobody takes snaps under center anymore. Like if you can immediately know somebody's full of shit, if they, if that, if that's a criticism of a quarterback, it's like, well, he never takes snaps under center. Like, Bro, nobody in the NFL takes snaps under center anymore. Like it's like an eighty percent shotgun uh, league at this point. Um, that's a big change. The way, like the proliferation of the spread offense in the NFL over the last five years is huge. When and coming into the league a few years ago as a like a quarterback from the spread, or you know, like system quarterback was like a a, a like a, a a pejorative term. Now it's just everybody runs a system. Uh, so. I think that that is a big part of it too. Like, and it's why traditionalists are so anti-innovation or anything like that is because of that, that how rapid the change has been. And I think the fact that, uh, that that is happening is a big part of it. And just the fact that too, like we also like people do need are very, very results based in the NFL. Like it all comes down to wins and losses. And, And I kind of understand that. And the fact that we haven't seen, you know, any team be, abruptly like all right we are very even if even if they are very innovative the fact that they're not like putting it in everybody's faces like for whatever reason people view the Cleveland Browns and Sashi Brown as um then the fact that that failed people will always come back and and you know will hold on to that like until somebody does it successfully and does it like out there in your face um people won't really respect it and even then they they probably won't no um, so that, that fits in well with our last football question, or at least last sports question. What is the worst unchallenged sports opinion that people wholeheartedly believe? 
worst take that is just like common knowledge, common opinion? Honestly, I think, and I'll, I'll bring it to receivers. Um, two, two things. One kind of a smaller one is that I think like people view players based on size and like put them into it, like then take that as a, as a skill set. And I know, I think you, you, you're, you're definitely big on, on size and weight and everything like that, but like how that translates into like, people will view players as, okay, this is how, this is their frame. This is their dimensions. And then like take that into how they play as opposed to just how good or not they are. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of a minor point. But I think one thing that I think is like the worst one is like the, the way people talk about like double covering receivers. Oh yeah. Let me, yeah. Just, let me just tell you, like, the most I have, and maybe I'm just terrible at charting double coverage and somebody listening to this can, can believe this, but like the most I think I have in my database over the last four years is like a receiver has like 16% of their routes is when they're like truly legitimately double covered. Um, I think that that is just not as big of a variable as people think, because you could just not, you, you're going to be seeding yards if you like line up again, like one receiver is, is drawing a double team, you know, 80% of the time, which is what you think when you hear people talk about double coverage and everything, you hear them, you, you would, you would think that yeah, it happens uh, every game. Right. And that there's always a stud wide receiver. Who's got a second guy on him. Yeah. Right. That, that it's all. Yeah. Right. Like it just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least very few. And it like the players who do have like, let's say, 10% of their routes double covered and that's like a high amount you know they are the players that you would think it's the Julio Jones Antonio Browns AJ Green those type of guys but you know the idea that it's just happening all the time and like it's this big factor I completely disagree with and let me just tell you right now if anybody if you ever hear anybody say like oh this guy's being triple teamed or whatever just they're they're out of their fucking mind like that doesn't happen there that does not happen at all period I like you again, you will be seeding. You will be just leaving. So you like as a numbers based perspective, you will be leaving somebody wide open and like mm-hmm. nobody is that big. That's of not a, even a numbers based perspective. That's just basic arithmetic. If three, that's guys, what I'm saying. Yeah. If, if, yeah. if three guys are defending one guy, that just means that unless you dropped like nine guys back into coverage, someone would be literally wide open. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. And, like, nobody is that big of a trash can of a football player that you can just leave them wide open and they're just going to – like, a ball's just going to clank off their hands every single time. Like, you would be seeding yards and points and, and you would be losing. Everybody would be clowning on you. So, there is no – there is no triple coverage. Like, if you, hear anybody, if you hear anybody say that, like, then you just know they're, they're full of shit. That's a good way. That's a good way for us to seg into the more uh, philosophical part of this podcast. It'll be a little similar to what what I talked about with Drew the other day. Uh, If you only care about football, if you only logged on to said podcast to listen to Matt Harmon's football takes, you can now seed listening to the podcast. You won't. Maybe there'll be an Easter egg at the end. You won't hear it. But uh, (laughs) now we're gonna we're gonna move on to a little bit uh, different uh, topic. So Matt, actually. You started the process a couple of years ago of losing 100 pounds, over 100 pounds, actually. I think it's actually your, your pinned tweet on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Anyone, if you want to read the story, it's there. Uh, interesting in and of itself, but that's not uh, the reason I bring it up. So obviously everyone lives these like horribly online and sedentary lives. Like you and I right now, we're doing this podcast. We're both sitting at our desks. Probably when we're done with this podcast, we're going to keep sitting at our desks. Maybe we'll go walk our dog. Right. Yeah. But for a large part of our day, we're sedentary. And I, I, 
I think the, the issue for most people is they just don't have the discipline to log off. They just don't have the discipline to disconnect and to stop, stop feeding into those impulses. What we've been talking about this whole episode is just need needing some sort of stimulation, needing some sort of content. And so my question is, where did you find the discipline? Right. Because I think that's the, the problem that most people have. What, what was your source of, of discipline? Well, I definitely don't think I have much discipline to log off. Uh, sure. Like, <laughs> so I don't know that I'm a good source for that. Um, I was actually just talking about that, uh, you know, with my, with my girlfriend last night. She was like, why don't you just like for a couple hours a day, like not go on Twitter. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I gotta, you know, I've started doing that actually though. <laughs> I know. I've like, I've like actually like at night, like after five o'clock, I'm just like, I'm not doing this. Like right. I, I, I'm not going to engage with whatever's happening on Twitter. The, the worst thing that I do and I've gotten better about it. I'm trying, well, I'm, I'm committed to trying to, to get better about it. Uh, which is, uh, which is what people say when they haven't gotten better about it yeah, <laughs> By the way, is like the first thing I do in the morning, like roll over and like, look at my phone. Like that's a horrible oh, I, way. I think if you, I think if you don't do that, you're a sadist at this point, like that, that requires an amount of dedication that doesn't exist in the world. But I'm trying so hard to not be that person. Like, like when I'm, when I, when it's like in the football season, like I've got to get my ass to the office. Like I'm pretty good about like, okay, waking up, taking a shower, walking the dog. But like, I don't have anywhere to be right now. You know, like my commitment of the day was to do this podcast with you and like do another one later. And so I've got nowhere to go. So I definitely like, there's plenty of time for me to roll over and like, look at my phone. Mm -hmm. But I do that. I do that. Sometimes I'm like, Oh my God, like I've been here for 20 minutes. Oh, uh, you can, you can go like, this is something that I do that I, I like if I never did this again, I would be happy. I'll go on someone's Twitter profile who I either haven't read, I haven't encountered it before or haven't encountered in a while. And I'll read like two months of their tweets. Oh my God. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that is, that provides no bonus value to my life. I do not learn anything. I do not become enriched. I don't, I'm not a better person for that. And I I would really like to never do that again. I honestly have, I've started to view things like as a very, I don't know if it's like transactional, but like how you were saying earlier, like how do I become a more, you know, interesting and well-rounded and enriched human being on the planet? Uh, because, because I started to feel like I wasn't that person because I yeah. cover football for a living. Um, and like, if I can only talk about football, like I should honestly just, you know, jump off a bridge right now. Like that's horrible. Um, so I've started to view things that way. And it's, it's, it, and honestly, it, it makes a lot of sense. Like when I do that, when I just scroll through somebody's Twitter profile or like look at a, look at Instagram or whatever, like I definitely, I'm like, I'm not getting anything out of this. Like I am, I, I am not benefiting. Cause there's definitely like, like being on Twitter, you definitely get a lot of information and you also get a lot of absolutely horrid, useless opinions. A hundred percent, 100 percent. Like, especially with, with politics and everything. Like I love to listen to, to podcasts cause it's a discussion or like listen to reporters or read mm-hmm. articles. But like, I do not need every jackasses like take on everything the president yeah. has said. Um, but you get that all the time and it's just tough to feel like Twitter's it's like just good going into a giant room and you can't go into a room of people and be like, Hey, change the subject. Or like, don't don't talk about this. Which is funny that we do that to each other on Twitter. Like, only tweet about this sort of thing. Um, I so gave it's that tough. Up a long time ago. Yeah, I've, yeah, ne- yeah. I've never been a stick to sports account. No, me me neither. Um, 
and stick to sports. Obviously, like everybody knows, it's just basically like don't talk about things that I don't want to hear about. Like you can talk. Like nobody ever told me stick to sports when I posted pictures of my dog. But if I tweet about you know, which I don't, I do, I do not. I made a made that commitment to myself that like I was not going to be somebody that tweets about my political opinions. Well, you just um, the problem with that is Twitter's such an echo chamber. You're either going to be getting like retweeted by people who agree with you, or you're just going to be talking to someone in a hundred. Well, I guess it's two hundred and whatever characters oh now. <laughs> but but it's but it's never it's never a productive. I've never had a yeah. productive political conversation on yeah. Twitter. It, it's not. It's not. It's just like if people can say if people can admit that i guess i can live with it that it just you're just doing it to make yourself feel better then i'm i'm fine with it but i do not believe it is it's constructive at all um to talk about to talk about politics or whatever so i'm not like i don't want i'm not like somebody that's gonna hide my opinions on anything but i do not i know that people do not need like to see me bitch on twitter basically about what i think about the world so i that's why i don't tweet about any of that stuff um because again it's not it's it's that question. Like, am I a better human being because of this, but way off the question that you asked about discipline. Um, again, I don't think I'm like disciplined about my technology use. Um, but definitely disciplined about working out and, and dieting and everything like that. Um, and I think that just comes from, um, the perspective of like, of needing to be needing to be that way. Like I went, yeah, I went through a really horrible period of, of depression and like, you know, that's, that's a little talks. I talk about a little, talk about it a little bit in the piece that you mentioned that's in Mm -hmm. my pin tweet. And like, I'm very open to talk about that sort of stuff. Um, it's something that I want to talk more about as, you know, I get a larger platform and I feel indebted to the world to like give something back. Um, I think that story is important to tell. And, you know, I would just, I just know that if I ever like backslid in some way, and like stopped making progress in this regard i would probably hate myself again and i don't ever want to this is like a super dark thing to say but i don't ever want to go back into a time in my life where every time i look in the mirror i just fucking hate myself um so that's kind of the reason i stay disciplined about it and i think about that all the time like that's a real thing though that's a real like the the motivation of just like looking in a mirror and being like dude i'm gross that's like a that's a real thing yeah. And it's, and it's not just about weight. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. Like people can be overweight or unhealthy and still, uh, still love themselves. And, and sure. that's great, but I can't, um, you know, I would, it's become such a huge part of how I view myself that like, it, it's really important to, to stay on this, to stay on that path. And I think too, like also just like feeling good too, because, because we live this very like, sedentary life and yeah the screen is always on your eyes giving you that sick glow yeah and you're yeah. you're constantly you know stimulated by this but not stimulated by real life things um i would feel like i would be very terrible at my job um if i was like also unhealthy so the fact that like like i feel like i'm a much better analyst i feel like i'm can be much more disciplined, like looking at spreadsheets all day, uh, when I'm also like a healthy human being and I don't feel like hell, you know? So I think that's a, that's a big part of it too, but it's, it's mostly honestly just about, about self image and like how I know how important that is to me. And I'm, I feel like for the rest of my life, I'm always going to be kind of running from something, um, and, and running from that version of myself. Um, you know, and, and I, 
that that's what I think it keeps me disciplined. It's, it's not like, I, I don't, I don't know what else. Cause I'm, again, I'm not, I don't think I'm very disciplined on like normal things, but it's these things that I have, I have tied to my self-worth and my self image. Um, and the, look, I just, it comes back to like, I know how awful like I used to feel and I don't ever want to feel that way again. And this is, it's not all of it, but this is a big part of it. So I actually, I've done the same thing as you, except I yo-yo. I'll like, I'll like lose 30 pounds and then just kind of over a year and a half or two, just kind of put it back on and Mm -hmm. go back and forth. And I'm currently on a downswing. I actually just did the whole 30. Do you know what that is? I've heard, I've heard about that. I know you got to give up booze. So. <laughs> I, it, it was, it was horrible, man. You have to give up sugar. Like, like you're, you're like buying a pasta sauce to use with your zucchini noodles and you have to read the ingredients to make sure that there's like no evaporated cane sugar in it. And that was like the most disciplined I'd ever been with diet. And I will tell you, I felt great, man. Yeah. I just like, I just woke up every day, just like ready to go. I did it with my girlfriend and like, it was like, it was like a real experience. And I, I, I'm also a lot like you, my discipline kind of depends on the thing. Mm-hmm. Like in certain areas I could be like extremely disciplined. And then in other areas it would just be like, I have nothing at all to give for it. But like, and, and I also think that something with physical appearances is like, as we live these more online lives, I think people care less. I think that's true too. Like a hundred percent. Um, people definitely care less about their, you know, their appearances and everything. I mean, even, I, I don't know if that's like good or bad. Like maybe there's some good to that too, but yeah, again, for me, like, it's just a, it's, it is a, it is a self-worth thing and, and I just know how important that is. So maybe that, maybe that is a good, it's a good thing to, to care less about your appearance, but uh, not when it comes to like sacrificing your health, I guess. I'm thinking, maybe I'm thinking more superficial, like who cares if I did my hair today or whatever, like, but uh, you know, when it comes to like your overall health, health, I still think that's really important. Yeah. So this does transition again into something that I talked about with Drew, where we talked about the idea that this is all leading to a, a simulated reality where, where there's just a cord in the back of your neck, right? And, mm-hmm. and you have no idea that you're in a simulation, but you've, you've so given up on being offline that you, your whole existence is online. And this has been a question I've just been asking people in my real life since we started talking about it. And I have my own supposition on the amount of people that would be only online. Where, where would you be? Would you be one of the, you know, would you be Neo in the Nebuchadnezzar? you know, fighting for, for reality, or would you be plugged in and blissful? That is, I, I saw this was on the agenda and I was so excited, but so afraid of this question, uh, because I think about it all the time. Uh, do you, do you watch Westworld at all? Yeah. I watched the first season. I've not started the second season. Second season rocks, by the way. Um, I watch, it's one of the few shows I actually watch every week. Um, because and I, I said this to Marcus, my friend, Marcus Grant the other day, uh, who works for NFL, obviously. But uh, I said to him, I was like, man, I was talking about, you know, reality being subjective before HBO made it cool. Um, So this is like something I have thought about for a long time. Like, I don't really have, I have very, very loose views on if what we are even living is a reality. Not that I like, I don't necessarily believe that we are in a computer simulation right now. But I think reality is so subjective. Um, Just again, like we're talking about earlier, you know, what you see is not all that there is, you know, and 
how much of that. So what is reality? That, that sort of question. I mean, that's um, the question, right? What is, what yeah. is reality is the question. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I have like just, I have very loose views on, on what is real and what is not um, essentially is, is what I'm saying. So I think that I would, I would like to think that I'd be the type of person that is, that would fight for reality and wouldn't just plug into the computer simulation. But at the same time, I don't even know if this is, I don't even know how attached to this reality I really am. So I don't know what I'm fighting for. Uh, So I think that's kind of a weird answer to, to that question. But I do, I do think that like we are, we're, we're, we're definitely headed to a point where people will just want to plug it. We'll just want to plug it. They just want to be plugged. Yeah. Because real life is hard and real life is, you know, is a little terrible at times. Um, But then again, at the same time, like it depends on how much you can control in that simulated reality. And I think, I think that's totally the hinge. Is it, is it a blissful simulation where it's literally a simulation based on what you would program to be like your perfect digital world? Or is it a simulation where everyone is plugged into the same digital world and it just becomes an extension of the way people act. And like, that's the matrix scenario, right? Where it's like plugged into the matrix and it's altered by these computers, but it's mostly just a world where people exist. Or is it like a, a second life sort of simulation where like, you are who you want to be. You look how you want to look. You do what you want to do. That is the, that's the big question. Right. Because it's like, we're saying people just want to be online and plug in, but being online is awful. <laughs> like <they're>, <laughs> being online is legitimately terrible. Sometimes like we're talking about needing to unplug because being online sucks. And, and why would you then want that to be your entire simulated reality? Now, if you could curate that and, decide like okay i'm plugging into this experience alone and this is all i'm going to get then i 100 percent believe like the majority of people would sell out for that because we we have god complexes about ourselves and we believe that we should control our own destiny all this and all this sort of stuff um but i also and so at the same time like i don't think that's sustainable though like the whole point of westworld like is that that is not that's not sustainable uh, you know that because that's kind of the environment that they create on the show is i kind of you know, i actually kind of think the point of westworld is like the very mike because mike it's based on a michael Crichton movie i think it's based yeah. on we have no idea the ramifications of what we're doing yeah yeah that that's definitely i i agree with you for sure and you know there's a lot to get into the second mm-hmm. season if you haven't seen it like there there's a lot more but um i i think one of the points of it is like that that, that you can't control you know, this, you can't create reality and then control it. Um, like the way people go into the park and they just do whatever they want. Like that was not sustainable. And the park is inevitably going to that, that reality that you've created is inevitably going to rebel against you. And so I don't believe that we can ever create reality, a simulated reality, and then be able to control it and plug into that blissful awareness. So I, I think that majority of people would sign up for that, but I think it would ultimately screw them in some way. So my, my opinion on it is the split would be about 70-30 in the United States on people who'd want to be online versus who would not be in it. But my, what I said before was I think it would mostly be like religious extremists that would refuse to plug in. That They would be like, this is, but I think the average man, you know, the average godless heathen that, that walks our, our streets, I just think that the average person would just plug in. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably true. Um, 
it's funny that like that would be the the extremist view would be like i'm not plugging in like that's out you know that's some abomination um it's it's again it just shows how far we've come um in like the last five years of technology uh so yeah i don't know and I also just think we're terrible. Like, and so I'm gonna bring another show into this too. Um, that I've now that I'm free from route prison, basically with reception perception on mm -hmm. the chart all the time, I've been smashing the handmaid's tale too. Uh, um, I'm, I'm okay. So if you've seen it all, don't I have, I'm no, yeah, I'm six episodes into season two. So I haven't seen, um, the, the most, the most recent, recent one, the most recent one I think is the most, cause my biggest question with a show like this is, how do we get here? You know, that's, what's fascinating to me. Like, yeah, that, I, that's the to That's the reason I'm still watching, even though I can the first five episodes of season two, I I'll be honest with you. I was pretty bored. Yeah. There's, well, there's some parts of it that are just, it's hard to watch because it's so dark and long. Mm, yeah. Like, it's very dark. I like, yeah. I think it's much more dark than Westworld. Whereas I think, a lot, I think a lot of people are much more offended by Westworld because like the violence is very gratuitous but it's much more realistic in Handmaid's Tale well that's so that's my my thought process behind these two shows is like people um so my but like people are like oh this show Westworld's just about you know people banging robots and killing robots or whatever mm -hmm. and Handmaid's Tale is just about these these women in sex slavery or whatever I'm like that's that's the part that's like not interesting to me yeah um, that actually like I I would have been fine without any nudity in Westworld because that wasn't what yeah. was interesting to me Right. A hundred percent. So to me, both, of, both of those, both of the, the things that are interesting about these two shows are like, how did we get here? And I, I think that the, the most recent episode of Handmaid's Tale, I think was the most instructive of like, okay, how do we get like this? And it's just like, I don't think we have any ability to predict like human behavior based on like, we can never say like, okay, we would never do that. You know, like, I think people would look at what we're talking about right now, like a simulated reality and be like, we would never get there. And I think that's an outrageous. No, that's the way everything is going. Think about yeah. think about just everything that you process on a daily basis, and think about how much of it comes from a screen or something external. It's like yeah. an absurd amount. Yeah, and people people say that about a thing like like Handmaid's Tale. Like I so I posted that I tweeted out like the other day, the two shows like which more which one of these realities do you think we are closer to to getting to, um, and I like the poll said Westworld, like almost a run, like a, almost a 70, 30 majority. And I was like, that's so stupid. Like we are like three wrong turn. Like we're one giant we're, crisis. We're like, we're like one men's rights activist rally in Washington DC away from living in the yeah. Yeah, we're we're one like national crisis and uh, three sneezes away from Handmaid's Tale. Like a hundred percent, that was like my Which is exact. Why response. that show is so terrifying to me? Because yes. I I just like I see people and I know that there are people that watch The Handmaid's Tale. Like I don't know, kind of seems like a good idea. Yeah, like well, if birth rates really fell that much, okay, I mean, I what, that's what yeah, it's just reasonable. Yeah, right. So I that's so my point in saying that is like people think like there's no way we'd get to handmaid's tale like i had a few people tweet that to me i've had people say that to me in real life and i'm like you are very 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 naive because we just have no way to predict how people would react in a in a crisis-based situation like that and like i said the most recent episode definitely was very instructive so i won't i won't spoil any of that but uh yeah it's i i think that people would totally buy into the to the simulation is is what i'm saying yeah i i, I absolutely agree i think the simulation is in play yeah it, it's it's scary man like just where where we are as a as a human society this definitely makes me want to like 
get off this podcast, smash my phone, like <laughs> run, run away to something. But that's again, it's so I think that that is um, like I've said for years, like that I at some point will probably have some like sort of existential crisis and like just run away to the wilderness, like take my dog and run away to the wilderness and like never be heard from again. But that also is just a way of me trying to curate my reality in in a in a non like te- technological simulated way it's the same it's the same thing and that kind of is uh is why i've questioned reality from the beginning is because i think it's so uh we'll talk about it more when you ask like about books like that, that that's what i've believed since like since college basically like being a sociology major and like how much that like just really the way my mentor like framed things and everything it was is like i just like reality is just is is totally not something that we that we have a good grasp on is is my point and me trying to like retreat from this technology reality into like a wilderness reality is again just me trying to uh curate curate that for myself which is i don't know if that's good very well said i'm gonna throw i feel like i'm gonna throw up now. <laughs> no the people are the people are gonna like this the people are gonna like this so let's do it uh a new thing on the show, we've talked about books pretty much every episode, so I figured we might as well just make it official. So uh, everyone who comes on, if I ask you in the future, be prepared to have an answer to this. Matt, give the people uh, a book recommendation. So the I mentioned just before we were talking, I'm a soci- I was a sociology major uh, in college. My emphasis was on cultural studies and social theory. My intention before I became a football writer was to uh, get a PhD in that and uh, continue my, ironically, my, my research paper, my senior re- research paper that I was going to continue on, I presented at a few conferences was about the presentation of self uh, in the digital age and specifically using Twitter as the medium. And this was like back in 2000, this was like back in 2013. Um, so it's ironic now that I'm basically plugged into Twitter all the time. Um, so I'll use two books that kind of informed that in that perspective. Uh, and they're, they're very dry, heavy social theory so if you don't like it, I, I get it. Like, I'm not going to give some sick novel here because this is the type of stuff I like to read. Uh, the Social Construction of Reality is one and uh, Presentation of Self by Irving Goffman is the other. Those are like the two books that really inform my perspective most about, about society and social theory. Very, I have not read those. So definitely I'll, I'll, give them a, I'll give them a search. I, I'm like, I don't know. I think a lot of people our age probably do this because it's like a it's an anti-discipline thing. It's a vision of yourself in a better future. You just buy books and then don't read them for years. <laughs> that is, that's a hundred percent me. Uh, that's something my girlfriend gets on me about is like, she said, she's like, you're not allowed to buy any more books until you read like the five or six you have backlogged. Um, and it's, it's tough because again, I'm, you know, you're just so busy being online that like, that's something I'm looking for. I'm going back home actually uh, next week. And I'm like, okay, when I go home, I'm just going to try to like smash all these books, you know? Um, I, but I'm, that's a hundred percent me as I buy all these books, almost as, as if I feel like it's like intellectual capital or whatever. And then I just hardly end up reading them. I do just like to have books. And then also there's like an ideal version of me that, that logs offline and, and just sits and reads a book in the morning or whatever. I think that is what it is too. Like buying these books makes me feel like at some point I'm going to get the hell offline and I'm going to like become, it's that pursuit of trying to become a more interesting person. And I do not think being on Twitter all the time. And like, again, reading people's fantasy football opinions with a dash of 
what they think about Trump is, uh, is, is making me a better person. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying by getting these books to, to, to push myself into reading them. So now that maybe I'm backlogged by like five or six, I'll get offline. Um, yeah. I do. What kind of books do you like to read? Like I'm definitely the type of person that I don't I'm not super into reading fiction. Um, I definitely like to read like theoretical stuff, whether it's about religion or culture or anything like that. That's the type of stuff that I'm, I'm into. So I actually was an English major when I was in, when I, when I went to K-State. So I do love to read fiction, but I do also read a lot of nonfiction just on stuff I think is interesting kind of at the yeah. time. I, I, right now in my uh, adult age, I'm probably on pace. Oh, I would say I probably read about 20 books a year and probably 15 of those are fiction and five of them are nonfiction. But uh, I'm, I got like really into Bitcoin. So I spent a lot of time over the last year, like reading like nonfiction stuff about Bitcoin, but also about um, just like the history of money and like central banks and stuff. And and that's like the sort of thing that will happen. Like maybe next year I get really into like civil war history. So mm-hmm. yeah, but, and then there, I get really, um, I get like, I just get really obsessed with like certain authors and then I just read like all the things that they've written, even if the books are not that great, like maybe the early books are not that good, but I just like feel like I have to read them. That's like, that's like my reading structure. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm on a big like religion kick. Well, I was a religion minor in college too. So I find religion really fascinating and I have my own personal beliefs and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I'm on like a big um, kind of this, I'm on a big kick about reading things. It's like trying to reclaim the way people view like the Bible specifically and everything. So I've, that's something I'm big. I'm big into like reading a bunch of books like that right now. But one I just recently got that I haven't started yet is this, is that sapiens book. Have you heard about this? It's like the entire human, it's about the entire history of humanity or something. I've heard it come up in a lot of like culture spaces recently, but that's one I'm, I'm looking forward to reading too. But yeah, this is the type of stuff I like, like just, not, I don't really like, again, not really fictional, but just stuff that's going to like challenge the way I, I, I think basically. Yeah. Well, I think that is a, a good place for us to end. We definitely ran a little over. I hope people, I hope, well, not over. I mean, who cares? We can talk as long as we want. That was just like boring radio talk. I didn't mean that at all. We can, we can do whatever, but everyone, I really hope <laughs> that you enjoyed the episode. Make sure to check Matt out on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB, give him uh, a look at the fantasy footballers ultimate draft kit. You can get reception perception for twenty nine ninety nine. Check out the book recommendations. Leave a ratings and review on iTunes. And uh, most of you probably are not listening anyways. But if you made it this far, thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you back whenever I feel like doing another episode.